Welcome to another Music Renew Movement episode. Hopefully you caught the last episode, and if you didn't, you should go back, listen to it, because it was amazing. Today on the show, our guest will take you through what it looks like to jump into music business from another career, going into music in your late 20s, and so much more. Alright, let's get to it. Cue the intro. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now? If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out, build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. So our next guest is an artist, manager talent buyer, DJ, side hustle math tutor with a past life in corporate HR. Please welcome Jane. How are you doing, Jane? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Doing great. All right. So for those listeners who might not know much about you, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, uh, things like that? Yeah. Um, originally from uh, Chicago suburbs, born and raised. I currently live in Dallas. I lived here for six years now. Originally brought down here by a corporate job at a tech company doing corporate HR. Since then, I've left that job about three years ago. And since then, I just kind of went head in first to the music industry with very little background and experience in it. Thankfully, just the hustle, (laughs) the grind, um, and just try to do my best in whatever position I was given, whether they were small internships or unpaid things. And that's turned into a business. It's been really, I've been fortunate enough that I've worked with people that have been gracious enough to speak highly of me when talking about working with me. And that's turned into word of mouth recommendations. Um, And so today I have run an agency called Axiom Music and we do artist management, talent buying, music programming, live event curation. We run a video series um, of live acoustic recordings on YouTube. And in my free time, if I have some, I still like to do music stuff. So um, I really started DJing just out of a personal hobby. And that's also been something that's been really rewarding in more than one way and turned into a side hustle. Um, And I also teach math as a private tutor as well. Very random, but (laughs) it it has saved my, it is a lifeline. It has saved my butt throughout these Mm -hmm. times hustle and grinding. Yeah. So, okay. So going back to Chicago, your Chicago years, was there something there that has always pulled you back to music or like, what was that growing up in Chicago like for you? Yeah. I, I, I try not to tell this story in a cliche way. So hopefully it doesn't come off that way. <laughs> I, I grew up in a very musical family. My mom's a um, concert organist by trade. So she's, all she knows her entire life is music. Um, she grew up playing in the, being the accompanist in her church all her life. She's still the organ accompanist at the church that my parents currently go to. My dad has a true 
just a true, pure, genuine passion for music. His way of relaxing after work is to pick up his violin and just practice for like two hours. So growing up with parents that were so passionate about it, I was picking up the piano, uh, not by choice, I should add. (laughs) I was picking up the piano when I was four. I started violin when I was five or six. And until I graduated high school, I was forced, I will truly use a word forced to practice my <laughs> every day. But I just liked, I just knew that I enjoyed music. And I, I say that in a very bland way, as in like, I enjoyed being in choir. I enjoyed being in a cappella group. I enjoyed being in orchestra. I just hated practicing every day. Mm-hmm. But that's a separate conversation of just the kind of person that I am <laughs> and how much I struggle with like, you know, doing things every day and consistently. That's just like a part of my personality that I have to work through even oh. as an adult. But I had never, I wish my parents are um, Korean and they were immigrants moving to Chicago in the mid 80s. And I wish that they were a little bit more hip slash open minded so that they could have introduced me to the world of a career in music other than being a concert violinist. Like my entire childhood, they raised me to think that I was going to go study violin performance in college, which I had no desire of doing back then. And so I had no idea, I had no exposure. I think that's the word. I had no visibility or exposure growing up in a small north suburbs of Chicago. I didn't have any access to people that worked in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And my music consumption until college was really mainly based on top 40 and mainstream. Yeah. Did y'all ever have, instead of like a family game night, did y'all have like a family music night or something like jam night? Oh my gosh. All the, so uh anytime my parents had company it was like talent show for jane they'd be like hey go get your violin and play like not hey do you want to but my korean parents were like you're gonna come and play for our guests yeah and i hated it i really hated it my parents uh moved back to seoul about 10 years ago and i've just been here and anytime i go back i see them about once a year um and anytime i go back my dad's favorite thing to do is for us to play together as a family so he actually taught himself how to play viola in the past couple of years. Uh-huh. And so he'll play viola, I'll play violin, my mom will play piano. And um, <laughs> So when you travel over there, do you take your violin with you? No, my dad has three. <laughs> my dad also has a hobby of going and buying old violins. And sometimes he trades them, sometimes he keeps them for himself. Like he just loves, he just loves that. He loves, when he would go to business trips in Europe, um, for a past job, like he would make time out of his schedule to go look at old violins that people were selling and then would play it. <laughs> but that's my dad's favorite thing. He loves it. And it, it really yeah. warms my heart now to go back and be able to play with my family. Growing up, I thought that was actually kind of normal. And then I tell friends now, they're like, whoa, that's so cool. Your family's a trio and you guys play beautiful music together. I'm like, that is kind of <laughs> cool. I, I guess not a lot of families have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's funny because with my family, dancing was a big deal so anytime we'd have guests would be my sister usually she'd be like the dancer i was like the producer in the back just like mm-hmm. we'd have small shows that she and i would put together while they were so in peru i guess it's kind of like another latin country so you have like nap time like siesta around mm-hmm. like four or something so while they were napping she and i would come up with a show for that night and then mm-hmm. so I was like the light guy and I'll play the music and she would. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we didn't play instruments. So it was like a big dancing type of thing. 
That's really cute. I love that. Yeah, we'd sell tickets. And, yeah, <laughs> did the whole thing. Um, okay, so Chicago music transitioned. I guess did you go to college for? Did you take I music? A, I got a college degree in math and economics. Nice. Okay. Super random to what I do now, but um, I, I knew I didn't want to study music, like not performance music, and I didn't know about going into music business. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I really just love math. I truly, really enjoy that subject. There's something about the it, the way it works your brain for logic and problem solving is something I'm just genuinely passionate about. <laughs> and I say this, and, and I'm laughing at myself because who says that? Like, I don't know other people who are just like, I love problem solving. <laughs> yeah, you're the second person. <laughs> and I didn't, I truly didn't know what else to study. So I sat my parents down one day and I was like, hey, just so you know, like I'm gonna apply to these schools as a math major. And they were like, okay, what are you gonna do with that? And I, and again, I, with the lack of exposure and, and knowledge and access, I was like, I guess I'll teach high school. <laughs> And so I went to University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and doubled in math and economics and got a teach. I went through the education program that they have as well. So I got a, I graduated with a teaching degree. So I'm technically certified to teach grades six through 12 in math in the state of Illinois. Nice. Okay. And then while I was student teaching, I was like, this is not the life for me. Nope. Do not want to teach every day a room full of whiny teenagers um yeah and i say i say that tongue-in-cheek I, I really do think that i might have a, a third career going back to that at some point because I, I am very passionate about teaching mm -hmm. it's just the you know there are certain cultural things in america where teachers are just not very well respected and i don't think that teachers get what they deserve in terms of mm -hmm. salary and it's just a, it is a really difficult thing to to try and teach 20 to 30 students in one classroom all day every day so um, as of right now, I'm not super interested in diverting back to that, but because I have this true, genuine joy of teaching young people problem solving, and I see really great value in that in my own life, so I, I do think that I may go back to that in the future. Mm -hmm. So pivot again, I'm graduating <laughs> senior year, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do after I graduate. I just knew that I didn't want to teach. and. There are mom moments when I look back in my life where I really see God's sovereigns. Mm -hmm. That's a word, right? Yeah. And, so we'll just go with it. Um, and there are moments where I feel like he's placed people in my life to really change the direction of where I was going. Um, I randomly met, I was, I used to proctor exams at the university, basically just hand out exams, collect them at the end, watch people cheat, whatever. <laughs> you get paired with random other people who are also proctoring that exam and working with you. And I saw this black girl, black student sitting there as a fellow proctor. Um, and I saw that she was wearing a monogram necklace, but the monogram necklace was in Korean. Her name's Tarita but it said Tarita phonetically in Korean. I was like, okay, I can't not ask her about this. This yeah. is so random. Mm -hmm. So you're not supposed to talk in the exam. So I go up to her and I'm like, hey, I'm Jane. What's your name slash where did you get that necklace? Uh -huh. uh, we talked a little bit. Turns out she spent a little bit of time in Seoul teaching English after she graduated undergrad. And I was like, you seem really cool. Let's get lunch. 
which is a very common thing I would do. I would just like to anybody that I thought was cool, I'd be like, here, here's my number. <laughs> um, and which is, which is that, that part of my life has saved my butt so many times, just being willing to just talk to random people. It seems to be a common theme that I, as I reflect, but we went to lunch and she was going through the grad program at that college um, for human resources. Um, it was technically called labor and employment relations. And I was like, what's HR? Tell me more about that. And she made it, she, she basically explained to me, like, I, what I took away was, okay, it's a position in a large organization that could help people ha hate their jobs less. It also, there's, there seemed to be kind of like a justice component where something um, unsavory or unjust happened to an employee that you could be the person, the go-between that makes sure things are handled and resolved. And the idea of most people hating their nine to five and me being a conduit to actually improving their life in some kind of way, mm -hmm. that kind of inspired me, honestly. I was like, that actually sounds like a pretty noble thing. And I took the GMAT like a month later and then I decided to go get that degree. So I went straight into grad school um, after undergrad and just stayed on that campus. So what was the, what's the actual major for HR that you took? They call it um, a master's in human resources and industrial relations. That's a full name. Each school with their program, I'm sure it's mm -hmm. a little bit different, but at this school, that's what it's called. Okay. So then after that, was it your goal to be the best HR person or were you still wanting, thinking about math and music and all those things? Um, music honestly wasn't a huge, like me working in music was never really a thought until I moved to Dallas. So at that point, I was like, let's try it. And, you know, I've had this conversation with several friends is particularly in the way that I grew up in this, in the affluent North suburbs that I grew up, they train you to think that life is just in these steps. And I think that's the number one reason why mm -hmm. institutionalization like schools is effective in, in the way Americans get work done and the way we live is because they drive this idea into you that after first grade is second and after that is third and after this class you take the next level and even in college your classes are organized by 100 to 400 levels so you just are in your program to think about life in just these series of levels almost like, like a, a checklist type of thing too a checklist and at some point there's a big boss that you have to beat and blah 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 so <laughs> even so with like that, Mario brothers exactly <laughs> um and you know happiness is rescuing Princess Peach or whatever her name yeah. is. <laughs> so we keep climbing this thing thinking that, okay, here's the next step. And if I do the next step, it must mean I'm progressing. That's mm -hmm. what we're told. Right. And so at that moment, uh, I, that's what I thought. I thought this is just the next step. And after I graduate, I'll get a job and that's the next step. And I just didn't really know anything much more than that. I just knew that it's better than teaching. So let's do this. I did an internship during that program, which we're all required to do in Dallas at a company, uh, a, a large tech company here. So I'm going to semiconductor company. And I had a great internship and I was so open-minded about where I was going to move after graduation. Cause it's not like I had family there. My parents had already moved back to Seoul. So a lot of my classmates there were like, die hard. I need to stay in Chicago and get a job. I just didn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I was like, never thought I'd end up in Texas, but Everything happens for a reason. I had a great internship. They offered me to come, come back full time. So I did. So I moved here February of 2014 and started working um, full time as an HR business partner at that company. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of interesting things. So then once you were in HR, did you meet someone? I'm guessing you probably did since you you probably had lunch with them or something. Did you meet someone or how did it transition? How the music out of the pop yeah. <laughs> I met the biggest kicker was I met a really bad boss. I worked under a director, so she was two levels above me. And I met a boss that made my life miserable. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to say it was all her fault. I'm sure there are things I could have done better. All I'm saying is objectively, my life was miserable. I was just pushed to the brink of all the things about corporate life that I think are generally hard for other people as well. But again, this is one of those things that I think God put into my life is that um, I'm going to take a, a quick tangent here. So like I have a lot of friends that reach out to me that are in nine to fives and look at my life as since I've left and created something different for myself. And they want to talk. They want to talk about how they're feeling at work. They want to talk about how I did it. They want advice. They just want to hear my story, which I'm eternally grateful for. And I'm always, always, always encouraging people to look at the possibilities and think of the world a little bit bigger than where you are right now. The biggest obstacle to those friends sometimes making, pulling the trigger and leaving. And I think it's so funny that people use the metaphor pulling the trigger because it really does feel like dying. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I have no idea if it's going to kill me or not, but I'm going to do it. Uh -huh. And the biggest thing is they're just not miserable enough. They're unhappy and they don't like what they do. They're very curious about other things, but they have golden shackles. They have a great salary. They have a great, great benefit. Yeah, they they're really comfortable. They're so comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I thank God almost even almost daily now. And as I think back about my experience in corporate is that I thank him that he made me miserable enough to leave. Cause at a certain point, People are like, how did you do it? How did you have the bravery and the courage to step out? I said, I wasn't brave or courageous. I was straight up miserable that it seemed like I, I couldn't do it anymore. Like it just felt like it wasn't an option. And for a lot of friends, that's not necessarily true. They still have the option of sticking around because it's not going to kill them inside, mm -hmm. but they do want to leave. So that's one of the things that I think is interesting. And, and, and I don't mean that to say that there's a clear answer to either of this. I just want to share my observation that Sometimes it's hard to leave because you're just not that miserable. So the other side of the fence, you're not sure if the grass is greener. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're back to your question of saying, who did I meet? I, may, I met a boss that made my life miserable. And in a way, I really thank her. I thank her presence in my life, honestly. Mm -hmm. I can say that now after a lot of like <laughs> bitterness have left my, my, my toxic body. But um, it's kind of like you're saying you were in a certain situation. It wasn't. I've met a few people like oh in jobs that I've worked in the past where I'll talk to them yeah hey how's your day going and a lot of them are like hey I wish I was doing this I wish I was doing that mm -hmm. I'll just be like hey why don't you and they're like uh you know I have bills to pay I have this I have that and yeah it's that comfort of knowing hey I can pay my bills which I mean it's understandable mm -hmm. but then there's they're stopping themselves from really enjoying the whole you know like the talents that God gave them, like they're there for a reason. And most people just go the easy route. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I can, I agree with what you're saying because God puts you in certain situations. If he doesn't see you coming out, 
mm-hmm. he has to get you out somehow. And so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. And part of my story that I like to share with people about the other interests that you have outside of work is even before, like a couple of years before I quit, I was already going through the miserable motions at work, um, even before I met that director. And I knew that music was one of those things that really fulfilled me. Like I was going to shows all the time on the weekends, both local and any touring shows. I was going to both big venues and small theaters in Dallas. And I heard about So Far Sounds, which if any listeners aren't familiar, um, I encourage you to check out their website. They're a really interesting organization that started from a true grassroots effort of people in different towns and cities wanting to host live shows with local musicians in their own homes. And I heard about this, I went and I hadn't even been to a show yet, but I went on their website, pretty sure I did this at work. I went on their website and I was like, well, I wonder if they're hiring, right? So I go under their jobs and they were not there. It's a mostly volunteer run organization, even globally. So I saw that there was an opportunity to volunteer. I was like, screw it, I'm gonna do this. So I emailed the head of Dallas So Far Sounds director at the time and just said, hey, this is me, this is what I do, I'm super interested in volunteering, I'd like to hear more about what that entails and the time commitment, blah, blah, blah. And we met up and he was like, so have you been to one of our shows? And I said, no, and he was, and you wanna volunteer? I'm like, yeah, like 100%. <laughs> what you guys do sounds cool? And he's like, okay, well, we love that energy, but let's take you to a show first and then we can talk more. I'm like, great, awesome. And- They're Like, we don't just take any volunteers. We want, yeah, that's funny. And I think a lot of times when, you know, you and I have discussions with friends who are thinking about making the leap or transitioning career, they think that they have to go and their first step out has to be something substantial. Mm-hmm. You know, however you define substantial, you might, they think that you have to go and do something and be like, oh, I, I should have to, I should have something ready that I'm immediately making money on. Right. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can still do your nine to five and do things like, volunteering your time in the area that you like, taking classes in the area that you like, if it's something artistic. You know, you can start small and just really treat it as a hobby and grow that and see where it takes you. Cause you never know who you're gonna meet at So Far Sounds. You never know who you're gonna meet at a pottery class. And those things and those relationships and the exposure that we talked about in the beginning, you're, you're basically teaching yourself how to, how to be exposed to these things. And if you don't have immediate automatic access, go give yourself access to those things, right? Mm-hmm. And um, So Far Sounds was great. It really fulfilled me in a way and kept, kept my music business and outside of corporate desires a little bit fulfilled at the time. And the reason I mentioned that organization as a key part of my transition is when I left corporate, one of the first things I did was text a bunch of my friends that I made through so far. And my text literally just said, hey, I quit my job. I know I want to do something in music. Um, in, in the business specifically, I don't want to make music, but I don't have any connections. If you guys know anyone, whether in, in the overall bigger so, so far sounds corporate, or if you know anyone in your life that works in music and they're nice enough to give me 15 minutes, please let me cold call them. And people sent responses they're like, oh, I have a cousin who works in marketing at Sony. I have no interest in doing marketing, but I want to know what it's like to do it at a label. Mm-hmm. people gave me names that I can contact that pe- people that were local. And I did exactly that. And that's truly how I started the transition is just asking people for names of other people that I can contact. Yeah. And so we've had other guests 
on and they they mentioned pretty much exactly what you said like it's all about the network all about building those relationships because yeah i feel like that's another part of one of the things that holds people back they they're like okay if i leave this job i have to be successful right away because people are going to be wondering oh is he a failure is he not and because that's going to take some time because you're going to build those relationships and i feel Mm -hmm. kind of like you're saying those are really important because those people know who you are they know your heart they know they enjoy working with you i agree yeah yeah okay so now we're at so far and so at this point did you know i'm guessing because you mentioned you were co-calling people Mm -hmm. you still you already quit didn't have an idea really of what you wanted to do Mm -hmm. and then during this time were you doing like a side hustle or Mm. something like that to keep you keep you going yes one of the things i'm super grateful for is that i did work for a large company where i did have all the nice salary and benefits and i did have a bunch saved up so i left with the security of knowing that i wouldn't be homeless for about six months to a year if i budgeted correctly and there was no dire need for me to make immediate money i also want to state that this depends on every everyone's situation i'm a single person that doesn't have a child like doesn't have children so I really just had to worry about taking care of myself. I do understand that uh, the, the jump seems a little bit harder and more daunting when you have other humans you're responsible for financially. And because I have a teaching degree and because I've always really enjoyed tutoring and teaching students in math, that was another thing I did. Like probably literally the day after my last day at work, I started emailing and texting other friends, a lot of parent friends, because I know that's kind of my target market. Hey, love my job. Um, really passionate about teaching. Here's some of my background. And I just wrote up a quick math resume of where I got my education, how long I've been teaching math. And my give them like a sample math question or something. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't solve this, call yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. That's actually not a bad business card idea. But then, the, you know, again, parent friends of mine were, were super gracious and just very, I asked them to put up my name in their company boards, like forums and stuff. Some of them would go on next door in their neighborhood and put up my information and just recommend me to people. Some of them would go in their like Facebook mommy, daddy groups and put my information up. And so I just got some small clients that way. And it was enough for me to pay rent. Like I still had other expenses, but like I was able to quickly grow my student base to a point where if I hustled, I could make rent. And that is an amazing thing. And I know, you know, some people might be like, well, you had a degree in this and that's why you're able to do this. True, 100% true. And I'm super grateful about that. But to me, the lesson taken away from that is don't feel like your past life and your past education, your past experiences aren't applicable in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I can still say today that even all my corporate experiences are super relevant to what I do now in the music industry. Um, cause a lot of those experiences in the sense, even if it's not direct knowledge transfer, they're skill transfers, right? We talk about in corporate speak, we talk about transferable skills mm-hmm. and that's what you learn during that time. That's what you learn. You might think that the psych 101 class you missed at 8 a.m. in college didn't matter, but there are things about even going to school, whether or not you went to college, it doesn't matter. There are things about going to school. There are things about working hourly jobs that all help you do what you do today and grew you as a person. So I think that's like a big takeaway and some of the reflection that I do. And there are so many ways that people can make, I knew, I knew friends that were, their side hustle was driving Ubers. 
while they're doing music and growing their music career, Instacart, any delivery service, there are things that people can do without necessarily a degree or specific skill in there. Um, but yes, I do recognize that it, it is very fortunate that I can use that degree in terms of teaching and that I really enjoy it. That's, that's the biggest key is that I'm grateful that I really enjoy teaching students. So a combo of the hustle with the tutoring and then through the recommendations I got from people. And I was searching online quite a bit for like local opportunities. So I started interning without pay at a place called Margin Walker, which is a local indie concert promoter company. And that was really, that was really fun. It was like, it wasn't necessarily like the exciting thing that people think of where I got to go to shows all the time, interact with artists. Like it wasn't like that. It was mostly like a desk thing of working spreadsheets and stuff. But I still learn stuff from that. Like mm -hmm. I got to look at offer sheets for touring bands and I was like, oh, this is what an offer sheet looks like, right? This mm -hmm. is what the PNL looks like for those things, which I would have never gotten exposure to. Mm -hmm. And so did that for a few months. I started doing booking, working with a PR agency in town called Culture Hype with their owner, Amber LaFrance, who's a good personal friend of mine. And she met me for coffee one day for 15 minutes and was like, cool, you want to start booking for me? And I said, I have no experience, but I will definitely do my best. And that's what I did. And like I said, Amber was one of those people that have been instrumental in my growth here be just because she was, she did not, she did not save any words to talk about how much she enjoyed working with me. She was always the first one to introduce me to other people and let her know that I'm super organized and that she's happy with the work that I do and that we get along well. And like I said, that turned into artists asking me if I would book for them. Mm -hmm. And then that turning into, hey, are you interested in management? And that turning into venues or restaurant groups or hotel groups being like, hey, I heard you work with artists. Would you like to do our music programming and talent buying? So that's just kind of how it like slowly grew into that. But what people don't hear about or don't see is me like ugly crying about once a month just out of sheer exhaustion like mm -hmm. I was just so tired because I was working so much in terms of just like free work tutoring and, and trying to go to events and network or go to shows at night and stuff and um I was crying but I was I would never ever in a million years once thought that I would go back to working in corporate HR as much as it was more difficult the type of crying the type of emotional crying was different this was just like I'm so tired but I want this so badly God like I want this so badly and I know you're doing something I just need to know there's like a light at the end of the tunnel but I'm but it, and then it would turn into suddenly suddenly as I'm as I'm crying and like half praying the emotions would turn into gratitude I'm still I'm like crying now because I'm so thankful that I don't want to go back to that life that even yeah. though I'm this tired that you've given me and shown me something that I love so, so much and that you've granted me to have something as much as a big passion as this. Cause you know, Eddie, you talk to probably a lot of people. You're a very friendly social guy. Like you probably talk to a lot of people and it sometimes surprises me how many people can't define a true passion of theirs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you passionate about? They're like, Oh, I like to go to the lake and, hang out with my friends. I'm like, no, no, no. Those are just like activities you like to do. Like, what are you passionate about? Right. And some people don't have an answer to that. And, and I'm just thankful that I have that not because I did anything to earn this passion. I just think that it was given to people like me and I'm, I'm, there's nothing I could have done one way or the other to not have this passion. So I'm just thankful that I have something that drives me this much. Mm -hmm. 
no yeah i mean that's true because you just ask people and they like hey what do you do when you're not at work when you're not doing this and it's they have to think about it and then you can see it in their face like uh i wish i could do this because mm -hmm. they'll ask me and i'm like oh yeah i'm working on this this and you know this is also fun and they're like wow i wish i had that much time and I'm yeah like, <laughs> we have the same amount of time it's just about defining the passion kind of like you said like that's what keeps you going and yeah it's not always easy as people just see it and so that's something i wanted to ask you like what are some things that you've struggled with as you've been starting this whole new career new change you know like personal development type of things type of personal struggles or things you've seen yeah in business things like that a couple things one i think i mentioned earlier in our chat that i'm not someone that's really good about consistency and i think another way to say is that like i'm not the most disciplined person and a lot of people might feel that way which is great but i do recognize that as much as thoughts and to-do lists are organized in my head my time is not and one of the beautiful things about working for yourself is that you get to wake up every day knowing that all 18 hours or so that you're awake is, uh, is at your whim. You get to decide how to spend it. And that's both amazing and like a huge burden at the same time to mm -hmm. me, right? Because you're like, oh crap, I need to use this wisely. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you feel like you've wasted a day, right? And, and in my nine to five, I've never felt that way. I was just, I just woke up and I was like, great, it's another day. I owe this person nine hours and I get to come home and pretend I didn't hate it. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to learn a lot about productivity, time management, um, task management, and I'm still learning every day. And there are things that I read that I can apply. There are things that I read that are harder to apply. And everybody has slightly different, you know, philosophies and theories and strategies on how to achieve those things. Um, but I do enjoy reading about those things because I feel like it's direct, like person, like you said, personal development and things that I can teach myself. So that's a big one. And I'm still working through that. And quarantine tr truly has been challenging for that even more so. I think part of it's just the mindset that we're in quarantine that makes it a little bit more in disarray. That one, learning about the music business is actually confusing. It's really confusing sometimes, especially when it comes to things like royalties, um, publishing deals. I still, there's so much I don't know, right? I've I have yet to be um, in a contract or even see a contract from like an indie label or even a major label. So I have no idea what those things look like. I don't know how they play out. And I'm, you know, it's a very much learn as you go business. I truly believe that. And I'm trying to learn as much as I go. I do want to say that for anyone listening that is curious about how I learn or how other people learn, quarantine has been really amazing because a lot of people in the, in the industry just have more time on their hands. And they've been very, very open to speaking on panels, doing webinars, and there's a lot of companies in the industry, whether they be labels or just music business networking channels um, that are hosting these weekly ones. So they've tapered out a little bit, but in the beginning of quarantine, I was attending probably like two to three of those a week. And those are amazing resources. And I also would do this thing where after I listened to someone speak, if I wanted to get to know them better, I would write down their name, try to find their handle, try to find their email, 
and keep that as someone that I want to reach out to for advice in the future. Mm-hmm. They might not answer. And that's the thing with cold calling. Like the worst that can happen is they ignore you mm-hmm. or they tell you to go away. That's like the worst thing that can happen. You, you, you don't lose anything other than your time that you took to reach out to these people. So um, that's been awesome just to understand who are some of the players in the industries that don't even get there. You don't read about them necessarily, like even in music business news, but they're doing really cool stuff. You just would have never known about their history and their background and, and how they came to being the VP of A&R at Blank Label until you got to hear them speak about it. So that's been really, really cool. And uh, there's companies like Song Trust, any distributor, they probably have their own learning sessions or webinars because they want to teach you about what they do and how they do it while also getting your business. So a lot of people are out there just giving out free resources. Uh, YouTube University, hello. You can look up pretty much anything and someone yeah. talked about it. Not saying that they're correct, but someone has an opinion, <laughs> right? So there's something you can do that. Yeah. And what would you say as you get new artists or they don't have to be like brand new artists, but just as you're getting people to manage, what are some things that you've seen that artists struggle with, again, personally? So the reason I'm asking is because I've read a few articles. There was one on um, that was done in the UK and it was they interviewed over 2000 musicians. And out of the 2,000, 77% of them mentioned they had dealt with some kind of depression or anxiety. And there have been a few articles on Billboard, different types of music, Mm. you know, outlets and people dealing with that. Is that something you've been seeing or what are certain things that people struggle with in that aspect, I guess, personally? I can only imagine what it's like to be a creative And I say that because I'm not one. I'm truly not someone who likes to create things out of thin air that don't exist. I'm very much of an editor person. So taking something that exists and wanting to improve. I think about the emotions. First, the emotions you have to reach and tap into to create something like music. Especially for songwriters. I think it's true for producers as well, but I feel like there's a deep part of who they are. And I, and I think that's true for anyone making art. You can ask any chef, any painter. There's, there's something that's a piece of you that you want to put your stamp on on this thing that you produce. And because of that, if you're not whole, if, you're, if you are not whole as a person and you're not in a good place to create, it's really difficult, which means there's a much added pressure about being whole all the time. And that alone, whether or not it's subconscious or conscious uh, pressure that people put on themselves, I think is a lot. And then there's a second emotional part where, okay, you you reached in, you made this thing, you're really proud of it and you put it out there. And for whatever reason, people aren't responding to it. Either people don't think it's good. Not enough people hear it because you don't know how the marketing works and you don't know how to properly promote it. There's too much competition. That's a big one. There's way too much competition. There's hundreds of thousands of songs being put out a week. And so I think all of that is, you know, can you imagine when you, when you made something this precious and dear to you and you put it out and no one seems to care and you have to fight through that. And that's a very difficult and maturity endurance inducing thing to do because you just have to keep going despite that. And I think that's already people who are a little bit more creatively in tune not everyone, but generally are, can be a little bit more moody and emotionally in touch. 
and more sensitive to their day. And then you have to deal with the consequences of thoughts like, what if I'm not good enough? What if this thing isn't good enough? Why don't people care? What if I can't make money doing this? What if this should just be a hobby? So I can only imagine the doubt that goes through their minds as they put out their art. Mm -hmm. So I do think that I'm not surprised by that statistic at all. It makes me really sad. Mm -hmm. But to put a little bit of a lighter spin on that, I'm going to guess that you can interview even 2,000 people in nine to fives and they might respond very highly about their struggles with depression and anxiety. Um, yeah. So I do want to, I, I don't know if this is like a word of encouragement necessarily. But, <laughs> you're like, you're not alone. They're also suffering. Exactly. You're not alone. <laughs> and, you know, the depression and anxiety that we deal with, I think is just part of growing up, unfortunately. We have more dreams to chase. We have more responsibilities to deal with. We have seems like seemingly more obstacles. So don't, don't think that you're alone in this. And I, when people, when, when it becomes very serious thing, please reach out to your friends and family and, and talk about it. Yeah. Community is really important. But yeah. Like you mentioned with a nine to five, a normal job, like you don't really, you have the filter of the company, you know, it's like, so no one really sees who you really are besides the people who work with you and yeah, musicians, artists, songwriters, especially like you were saying, like they, they're putting out this for everyone to see and like the ugly comments end up popping out more but if you think about it a bunch of my favorite artists i can i remember back in the day i would go to like cd stores and pick out a little cd and listen to it and i would like skip through songs i would only like four songs out of the 12 that they had on the cd and it doesn't mean that they're terrible like I just those four songs resonated with me but also the songs I, I feel like get me to understand who that band is so it right. me closer and so yeah no it's that's good some now we're at the part of the show where we just call it the mixer quick round question time oh great come up with a shorter name <laughs> um, okay so I'm just gonna ask you a few questions I'm just gonna bam 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 okay you ready Yes. Okay. So what was your first car? My parents' Lexus 98 ES. Nice. Was it like pretty well kept? My parents did a good job keeping it. And also those things like never die. So uh, yes, it, it ran for like probably close to 150,000 miles. Dang. Okay. Instrument you wish you could play? Bass, hands down. The bass? Yes. Like electric bass or like? Electric bass. It is my favorite instrument. Most, <laughs> yeah. most songs and genres I love is because it has a slick bass line. Nice. Stop it's a bass. perfect instrument which contains melody and rhythm in one. Mm -hmm. All right. Superpower you wish you had? Being in multiple places at once. Okay. If you could have a song play every time you enter a room, what would that song be? Oh, shoot. That's a great question. Um, no diggity. <laughs> yes. Nice. Factory. All right. What's a secret talent that not many people know about? I can solve a Rubik's Cube in under two minutes. What? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. One of my cousins does that. And when did you learn that? Um, in high school, because I 
was in higher level math classes. I was always in math classes with like hyper nerds, which I loved. I love, I, I, I love nerdy people. Mm-hmm. And um, there were kids much smarter than me in that class for sure. And one of them just during class while we're just jerking around, like he, he taught me how to do the Rubik's cube. And since then I do it every once in a while. So I don't forget it. Exactly. Um, just in case mm-hmm. it comes up randomly okay i mean it's just a good party trick <laughs> wait so you carry one in your purse or something no i don't but if if you know when we used to go to parties um if someone had one in their home i'd just like casually walk over there and solve it and put it down and then if someone noticed it'd be like whoa you can do it and people would make all the like oh of course she's an asian math major <laughs> and i'm like you're not wrong i'm not even no, that's where i actually learned it in math class you're right <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> All right. Best piece of advice you ever received? Treat everyone as if you might work for them one day. Okay, that's good. It's a crazy business. You never know. People are going viral every other day. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know who you're going to cross paths with again. And they even told me that in corporate because, you know, mm-hmm. even within corporate, people get promoted and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But in this industry, you know, you can literally blow up overnight. So I just try to treat everybody like I might work for them one day. Yeah. And what's your worst piece of advice you ever received? Stick with, stick with um, what you learned. Stick with what you studied. Mm-hmm. It was like the most sensible advice when I left my job, which was to, hey, maybe it was just the company you didn't like, but what if it's not all HR you hate? Which isn't <laughs> totally okay. Yeah. That's a really yeah. valid question, honestly. Um, but no. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm good. And what's been um, your favorite thing about your everyday, day-to-day life? I, I love that I get to, that listening to music is part of my job. Um, as a talent buyer, music programmer, whatever you want to call them, as you're booking music for a certain venue or a client, you have to listen to a certain amount of music. I, even though it was canceled and postponed this year, um, Deep Ellum Arts Festival, I was their state. I was their entertainment director, booking and managing the, the three main stages, and I had to listen to a ton of music through that. And shout out to my interns to help that helped me because it was a lot of submissions. But even as I'm doing it, whether they were good submissions or not, I do remember taking a moment and just being thankful that this is part of my day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty amazing. I I get really emotional at shows. I, I like pretty much tear up at like seventy percent of the shows that I go to. How no matter how big or small they are. And it's mostly just out of this everyday thankfulness that um, I get to even just with my fingertip touch a part of the world that I love, which is, which is music. Um, and I love music because I think it transcends a lot of boundaries of culture, gender, sexual orientation, any kind of background age. I think it really transcends all of those things. And when I see, when I look around at a show and everyone's, hearing and watching the same thing but i know that inside that they're all interpreting and experiencing it differently mm. but in a big way we're just one group of people that are really moved by what's going on in front of us to me that's just so beautiful i, I love seeing how music brings people together well yeah no that's interesting yeah everyone's enjoying the same experience or the same thing but they're experiencing it differently yeah, especially when I go to shows where people dance a lot, that's the best because we're yeah. all listening to the same music, 
but we're all dancing differently, mm-hmm. but we're all moving to the same rhythm and everyone looks so happy. Like that's, that's the part of live events to me that is the most meaningful is that we share an experience together while still being individuals and true to ourselves. Mm-hmm. There was actually, uh, we went to ACL a few years ago and I remember mm-hmm. we're waiting on another band. And so of course there's a band before them playing and we're just talking and it was like a mellow band, like super mellow. I forgot their name. It was just like, you know, barely like mellow, I guess mellow for me. And yeah, there were two girls in front of us just like rocking out, like dancing. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, I don't know what they're listening to because it's not this band. But then thinking also like they're probably hearing something different than I'm hearing. You know, it might be upbeat for them. Um, And so kind of like you're saying, like we have the same band. We're all experiencing it differently. Yeah. Um, And so that was like an actual thing that I saw. I'm like, that's interesting because I'm used to like, upbeat like good beat type of thing yeah and what's been your your favorite go-to uh outfit for the quarantine times (laughs) (laughs) uh was not expecting this question at all um i am usually in a t-shirt and shorts and i'm gonna be super honest sometimes i wear the same shirt for several days (laughs) and i don't even care yeah, that's how I was too. Well, especially like the first two weeks, I think I wore the same PJ pants and same shirt for like a week and a half. And I mean, then, it just seems economically responsible. Yeah, I'm like, clothes every day. Yeah, and I remember I think my wife she had to be like, "Hey, um, you want to change or something? Uh, maybe shower, go out for a walk." I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, you're right. I guess I can do that." Felt yeah. nice to go outside though. I hadn't seen the sun in a few <laughs> weeks. Uh, cool. And then lastly, I was going to ask you, how can I be praying for you? Thank you for asking. That's a really, really wonderful question that any friend can ask. And I feel like that's just such a different level of support that people can offer each other. Please pray that I continue to improve as a professional in terms of what we talk about personal development, mm-hmm. that I improve in, in my understanding and knowledge. And also that I improve in my faith as well, because I think that really, <clears throat> that really does change my mental and emotional health sometimes. Um, and that I'll, and that God will just keep opening up doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like he's you know, already done that in small and big ways. And a big theme in my life, like I mentioned, is just the people around me who've changed my life. And so I, 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 I continuously pray that he puts good people near me. Um, and I think without being overly specific about a prayer, I think that's just generally what I pray for a lot. It's just that I become a better person, that I become a better professional, that I become better at what I want to do. Um, and that people continue to be a conduit for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a, I don't know if I told you, I have like a prayer book type of thing. So we pray every day. Um, so yeah, I'll write that down. Well, I just wrote it down. So yeah, okay, well, Jane, uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you, how can people contact you? Are there certain things that are going on with you right now? 
um, yes. artists, things like that? So my Instagram accounts, I'll, I'm happy to share those with you. My personal account is snacks at parties. Exactly how, how it sounds, <laughs> snacks at parties. Uh, I go by, my DJ name is snacks, but I also eat at most parties I go. <laughs> What's your, what, well, I would have, I forgot about this. What's your favorite snack at parties? Um, go ahead, well, I guess, yeah, you have some snacks. Like the easy, I mean, I just, I like cheesy snacks. So if you have like any kind of like Cheez-Its, <laughs> or any kind of chips that are cheese related um bonus points if you have things like i don't know pigs in a blanket or you're gonna say like fancy cheese like you know how people you know, have it you're like, like cheese it's <laughs> chips chips and queso like i just like cheesy things i'm a very like savory person over than sweet got it yes okay, so now so i know now i know what you're gonna have <laughs> the next time i come over after <laughs> yeah. after just a bag of cheese it's yeah yeah uh okay so uh, snacks at parties that part is my personal one. You can follow all the things of um, Axiom Music and our, what the agency does at Axiom Music underscore. Axiom is spelled A-X-I-O-N as in music. So Axiom Music underscore. And then you can find my email on that page as well. And I, it, I will also give it to Eddie if he's releasing this and you guys can find just notes on there. I'll leave my contact information there. No problem. Please reach out. Any questions you have, I'm always open to connecting with new people. As, as I've said, you never know what these connections will bring to our lives. So please reach yeah. out about anything. And are there certain things coming up? Any releases that you're working on? I am currently working with an artist, Emma Oliver. She is based in DFW. Um, her story is really, it's her story is intriguing, but it's also very on trend because she currently has 440,000 TikTok followers just because she's just a really goofy girl. She's just mm -hmm. really funny and people really <laughs> engage with her, just regular content of her being her normal self. Mm -hmm. But music has been something that she has been working on for several years. And so her debut single actually came out in July. Okay. And the response has been overwhelming. She is probably, I think today she's at about quarter million streams for her first song. Wow. Which for a, a debut single, I think that that number is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been garnering a lot of interest and I'm super happy about that and super grateful about that. Her next single is coming out in September. So we're working on just the release plans for that this week. And so, and I'm really excited about this next one, even more so than the same. I mean, the first single was great um, and it was a great introduction for her to come into the world with, um, with this next single I'm super excited about. So keep an eye out. Emma Oliver. And you'll find all this information on your Axiom music page, correct? That's correct. Yes. And a slew of other things that we are working on, but that's the main one that I'm wanting to tell everybody about. Nice. All right. Well, Jane, thank you so much for coming on uh, and sharing your story and how people can, you know, transition uh, from, their jobs, you know, different tips that you've given us. So yeah, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff and I'm really, really motivated and encouraged every time I do share it. And it's it's a really good reflective journey for myself as well mm -hmm. as I think back on it. And so thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity this morning to reflect and share my story and caring about what my experiences have been. Yeah, I know it was really encouraging. So hopefully we'll have you back and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, Eddie. Hold up.
If you gained some great value, make sure to rate, review, and share with someone you care about. As a thank you, I'll be doing a giveaway for $100 and or a free 45-minute music career coaching call with me. So if that sounds like something you like, take a screenshot of your review and tag us on your social media post to be entered into the drawing. We'll be doing this every month, so see you soon. Now back to the jam.